It's never too late to change ourselves for the better. My name is Sam Mera, and this is my 530. This week's 530 is all about Sam Mera. Sam is a UAE-based photographer and an overall nice guy. We'll talk about the time where he opted for a career as a merchant navy and how all this life experiences has given him the ability to gracefully navigate this beautiful yet tricky thing called life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Sam! Thank you very much for being on the podcast. You're an amazing photographer and an overall like a very creative person. Um, how did your Dubai adventure start? First of all, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. It's a great opportunity uh, to share my experiences and uh, see, you know, whatever little I have to share can value other, you know, uh, creatives at the beginning of their careers and maybe also some level of relatability to people who are on their journeys here in Dubai and around the world. So I came here uh, with just a degree, I guess, and some experience that I had in completely different areas. And then I applied for some jobs. At the end of two months, I got two job opportunities. One was from this digital marketing uh, agency for salons in downtown. Another was this boutique agency, and uh, which required the role of a social media marketer or photographer, videographer. So I had some little skills in social media and some skills, little skills on the camera. So as a, I started my uh, job here as a social media marketing executive and uh, a photography, videography, you can say on the side. Before that, I was in a different job, a different line, right? A different career, it was the Merchant Navy. But uh, when I came to Dubai, I was open to every possibility. Of course, uh, I had a job experience, but I didn't have so much of life experiences when it comes to the you know corporate world or when it comes to agencies, when it comes to other things. Uh, I was very innocent in that regard. But it's amazing that you took the chance on yourself to just kind of land in somewhere that you presumably hadn't been before, yeah. knowing that there was so much promise there and opportunity for what you could achieve if you worked super hard and stayed committed to following your dreams and your passions. But so interesting that you said you mentioned the Merchant Navy. So let's go way back. So you born and raised in India. Talk us through a little bit about like your school life, your upbringing, and then how you came to be someone that was living and working at sea, because I'm just so fascinated by sure. this. In India, at that time, you know, the craze was about engineering, you know, engineering. <laughs> or if you're super intelligent or you're very good at biology, then you take medicals and become a doctor, because of course, everyone wants to look at the safer option of building a career, right? So I was thinking maybe, yeah, I'm going to do engineering like my other friends. So... You know, I passed out of high school, sat some, sat for some engineering exams, got through, you know, and I was about to get a seat in an engineering college. But at the same time, you know, I had heard about the Merchant Navy. Uh, my father actually propped it up to me. Like, this is one career where you get a lot of money. It's, you know, tax-free. You are an NRI citizen, which is non-resident Indian. You are outside uh, India for over six months, so all the money comes, you're saving everything on board. So of course you get a lot of money, you get to travel the world. So that Does that mean you don't pay taxes? Yeah, so you don't so, pay taxes. If oh, you're cool. more than six months out of India, you don't pay taxes to the government because that's the clause. Yeah, oh, that's nice. So yeah, that was the thing. And of course I really wanted to travel. And you can say at that point of time, I was always inspired by movies and you know, our travel and places around the world. I was very curious. 
and movies like Motorcycle Diaries came at that time. I, I watched it that time. It's a story about Che Guevara and his friend uh, Ernesto de la Sena, you know, going across South America on a motorcycle. And that's, oh, that's, his, that's, that's a dream. That's his formative days. And before he became Che Guevara and whatever controversial leader he became later on, like he spent, he was a young doctor, an asthmatic young doctor in South America, in Buenos Aires. And he and his friend go on this battered motorcycle all across South America. And that is such a beautiful movie. And it, you know, it gave me goosebumps and like, wow, that's a beautiful movie. And you know, you need to, I had this urge of exploring. And another movie at that same time was Into the Wild. It's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. I, have, I read that book like a couple Christopher of times. Christopher Stu, Supertime. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so inspired by such movies and ideas, <laughs> I said, let's go into the Merchant Marine. And you know, I went into that college, got admission into that college for a bachelor's degree in nautical science for three years. So I was in a very remote location, close to Calcutta. It's a port city, it's a Haldia, it's a port city. And I did my three years graduation there, finished uh, from there. And I was placed in a Japanese company, Japanese shipping company. It was one of the largest shipping companies in the world. They have different fleets of oil tankers, container ships, car carriers. And I was placed in the uh, car carrier section. This is a huge thing because I, I don't think I can ever like be on a cruise lining, but just because of maybe Titanic Living and stuff. Living at sea, yeah. I just can't really get my head around what that must have been like. Like, can you just explain like how, how you were dealing with, like, obviously you'd you would be on the boat for quite a long time, right? So you'd obviously come into really awful weather mm. conditions and how are you how are you dealing with that? That must have been terrifying. That's literally my worst <laughs> nightmare. I can't even imagine. Yeah, life at sea is challenging and rewarding in so many different ways like you cannot imagine like when you're going out to sea at a young age you know nothing about it right how old were you sorry to cut you i was around 21 yeah 21 okay cool my first ship actually before i started on commercial ships was a training ship it was a three-month stint us called uh, i'll not say the name but we started it uh, you know we started our voyage at singapore we were around i think so 150 200 cadets from philippines russia india and other parts of the world and we sailed up to uh, Philippines, to Manila. That was our first voyage as training cadets. So all of us cadets would go up, you know, uh, muster over there and we used to have something called Taiso. So they used to play this uh, uh, tune of the good, the bad, the ugly, the Western music yeah, yeah, in Japanese. Yeah. Uh, that, that music. I don't think we, can, we don't have money to buy that, the right <laughs> zone. So yeah, then you go up to, you know, the bridge for navigation, for learning navigation. You learn different uh, equipments from the radar to the ECDIS and the other such specialized equipments. Also chart work. There's a lot of voyage planning involved. You know, when you go to one place to the other, you see courses, you see uh, directions. So a lot of things. Now I've forgotten most of it. It's been a long, long time. But then also you learn different things about architecture, about ship construction, about loading cargo, discharging cargo. There's a ton of stuff that, you know, uh, you need to study and pass exams for. After that, again, you have the day job. They make you make sure you do every aspect of, you know, ship jobs. Because once you become a captain, once you become a leader, you need to know Everything. how much time mm-hmm. any job takes. No job is small, no work is small. So from, we used to be assigned cleaning jobs in different areas of the ship, you know, you are cleaning and also you are studying. And once a week you have something called wash oil. So it's like something like building humility in you. Like mm-hmm. there's some guy, some rich guy from some part of, the world and he's like, oh man, no, I'm not going to clean the ship. That's too beneath my dignity, you know? Yeah. So that breaks you down. That makes you humble, you know? 
you are on the deck with this coconut husk and you are rubbing it on the deck of the ship all of us together wa shoy wa shoy wa shoy this would be like a war cry you know and it's to be funny i know we knew it was stupid you know but it was just like a form of discipline they used to make us do but that builds character i think so that builds you know that 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 helps you be humble and be equal with everyone else no matter where you're from how intelligent you are so yeah that kind of a journey we had in the first 3 months of sailing around the philippines and that's just the first 3 months yeah yeah that was just the training <laughs> that was just the training now we're on to the big boat did, yeah. did you have sorry did you have to jump like whatever like if there's a man goes overboard yeah man overboard drills so actually we already had those before the training ship in 3 years of college we had we already had all those drills of man overboard drills and abandoned ship drills fire drills so you have to pass all those exams and tests so whenever there's a fire was the emergency drill yeah because you know at sea if there's a fire you can't run mm-hmm. you have to fight the fire and when at you know it's at the end of the day like the captain says no we can't fight the fire abandon ship then you abandon ship how do you abandon ship so there's lifeboats and life rafts okay so you can there are different types of lifeboats mm-hmm. like you see in titanic that lowers from the side yeah Okay, that's one type. But nowadays you have modern lifeboats, so they are very well equipped, and people do the checks all the time. There's a lot of amenities inside. You have uh, life jackets, you have thermal protective aids, and there's something at the side, uh, at the end of the ship also, which uh, uh, lifeboat which slides down. So you just hit a lever and it slides off. And also there oh. are some things called life rafts. You just throw them into the water, these big capsules, yeah, and at, they reach a certain depth and they just self eject. And these are uh, you know life rafts. So there are different types of life saving you can say wow. do airplanes have these i know they have like life have life rafts they have the slide yeah they have the slide and i think so life rafts yeah okay cool <laughs> i just I can't so. i just <laughs> i just can't imagine like have you ever had like a a moment where you had to fight through a really strong storm storms were quite common actually when you sent because we were in a ship which used to sail across <laughs> different oceans so i've been to every big ocean and sea in the world of you know touched five continents traveling in transporting cargo so you know when you're going through the bay of uh, biscay which is off the coast of portugal in the winters that's very rough you go to south china sea that's very rough and the most southern you know uh, the most south you go uh into you can say the indian ocean towards the antarctic the the Tourism. waves are more rougher towards the south pole yeah winters people don't want to sail because <laughs> it's one of the rougher times you know like it's Uh, you they say like you walk two steps forward and you walk five steps back you know <laughs> you're lashing and securing everything in your room if you have a laptop on your bed and you're sleeping next morning you can find it in pieces or, you know it's oh my yeah. god so, so there's a mechanism for you know securing everything on the ship even from like god help the chefs and the cooks with all the cutlery and the crockery yeah like what kind of stuff are you eating on board and how long is a typical journey i mean obviously it depends on how where you're uh, taking the cargo to but so with regards to eating like i was telling you earlier you know the yeah. food is i guess the most important part of what you look maintaining forward to. peace and order yeah uh, so companies ensure that depending on the majority nationality of a ship like if there's a lot of indians or there's a lot of europeans based on that they have chefs who prepare those different cuisines so we have a chief cook he has his second cook and they prepare you know like if there's for there used to be filipino cuisine for filipinos there's to be indian cuisine for indians so you have this kind of uh 
a general cuisine which is being served. So it's good food mm. because at the end of the day, you're working so hard and you don't come back to good food. There's going to be mutiny. <laughs> People <laughs> are going to revolt, you know, like I am the captain now. <laughs> yeah. So what about pirates? That's yeah. a thing. Pirates of the Caribbean over here. Yeah, so, it's a thing. Yeah. So before uh, getting to pirates, like you're asking me about how long the voyage is taking. Yeah. So again, depends on the voyage charter. Like every time you board a ship, like the company will give you, okay, this is the voyage. Now you're going from one port to another. Like if you're going from maybe Japan to Korea, that's a few days time. If you're going across the Pacific, it might take weeks, depending on the type of ship, if it's loaded or not. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, it takes more time. So generally it's that. And Have you ever been to like, start, sort of like from Japan to, you said like Portugal, mm-hmm. like how does that work? You so, go around south? So there are some ships. Through the Suez Canal? Yeah, through the Swiss. Okay. Because nobody takes the Cape of Good Hope unless I guess you're just going through the southern states, southern countries of uh, Africa. But everybody takes the Swiss because it saves time. And in today's day and age, uh, today's shipping, you know, saving time is everything. You're saving fuel, you're saving time for customers, for all the orders. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And our pirate, pirates are a thing. Yeah. So. Uh, up until when I was there, yeah, they they were a serious threat. So whenever I used to approach the Gulf of Aden and Swiss Canal, there used to be a UN convoy of, you know, different Navy ships. No way. Yeah, there used to be like a convoy of French ships and, you know, UK, British ships and American ships. So then we had to assemble together in a line and then we used to pass together to the Babel Mandap, I think so, Gulf of Aden region. And then used to use, reach Swiss Canal and then we used to, you know, transit that. So it's scary times. Uh, but used to be prepared. Like, fortunately for us, car carriers are much higher. The decks are very high. Mm-hmm. So there are lesser chances that pirates will attempt to go come overboard. And some ships also have uh, mercenaries. We have armed mercenaries on board. Oh, so cool. Ex-special forces, ex-army. They are there with guns. But there are two of them. Or maybe like, if there's a whole boat of pirates coming, how much can you do? Mm. And if the ship is low, like heavily loaded ships, like bulk carriers, they are slow and they're low. And these guys come on, you know, these hooks like and oh my they just gosh. they just climb and and they Oops. take the ship for ransom for millions did of you, dollars. Did they train you guys for these type of situations? What if like a pirate would just like how can you train for that? Like, like, do you just pay the ransom? I think so. <laughs> just I that Sylvia was just like take my money, just let me go to Paris. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've uh, listened to a couple of different stories where people were just taken and, you know, the company refused to give them money and they were stuck there for years at a time. No. Yeah, yeah. And most of the times people don't have the money to pay for these guys. I mean, these poor guys, they are just doing their duty. And uh, yeah, and it's not just in Africa, it's there in, uh, you know, the Southeast Asian waters as well. There's piracy there, it's in the Western African regions as well. Because it's all due to geopolitical issues, you know, wherever there's injustice and unfairness for a long time, the people suffer there. And of course, they have to resort to such areas of means of, you know, extortion. So it's sad. It's sad, but I hope someday it will change for the better. Yeah. And you were saying before we came on, you, you did that for around three years, right? Yeah, three stints. What led you to kind of say, okay, this is, I've done my, <laughs> done my stint at sea? So, you know, my... Life at sea was mainly about travel, about exploring, about seeing more of the world and also growing in, a, in a, my career as become a captain someday. Uh, but although, you know, I knew it was so important as a very critical job role that mo- most of the world does not know about, like 90% of the world's cargo was transported through mm-hmm. sea, right? 
because it's efficient, it's cheaper, cost-effective for business. Uh, but, you know, deep inside, I knew I wanted to do something different, you know. Uh, like in my future, how would I like to see myself? I, I felt, I pictured a different, you know, future for myself. Because especially when it came to a balance, a balance of life and work, life I see deprives you of that because you are out for six, seven months at a time. And when you come back home for a few months, you are studying, you are preparing for exams, you have courses and, you know, in terms of time, it's challenging. Uh, so I felt like, you know, monetarily, I do not prioritize it so much that I have to spend so much time at sea. And, you know, because I want to do th things that I like, maybe I have some things I want to spend express artistically. I didn't know I would be a photographer at that point of time. I had no intention. I had one camera because of course Casey Nice had days and before that <laughs> I had one camera, the money I had, you know, I saved up some money, bought a seven, 700D or something like that. So I used to just take photos, do some travel blogging, you know, write on Facebook with all these captions and post this bunch of photos. But it was mainly a philosophical, you know, journey for me. Uh, going into places, different places and, you know, breaking these preconceived notions I heard about the world. Like before when you're a kid, you're like, oh yeah, British are like this or Americans are like that or Japanese are like that. But you know, how it helps you break these generalizations, these preconceived mm -hmm. notions that, oh, all people behave a certain way. No, it's not, you know, every individual is different. I have, I might have more in common with an, you know, a, a French guy rather than, you know, a neighbor who has been living across my street my whole life, right? So it had helped me grow in terms of empathy and, you know, a perspective about the world. Also, when I was sailing around the Pacific, you know, you were going for long voyages, there's bioluminescent waters and... No way. Yeah, like, you, if you ever watch Life of Pi, I was yeah. like, wow, I relate to it so much. Like, there was this Bohan's journey across, right, the oceans. And it's so surreal. It's so, you know, also it gives you so much gratitude for me. It was for building gratitude in my life. It was so instrumental because... We live in this small city, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at the globe, but when you live here, it feels so big. 30% of the land feels so large and so big. But when you think about it, 70% of the world is just water. water. And you know, when I was, sometimes I was to be on the deck of my bridge of my ship and I just look out and, back and look at the stars and you can see a starry night, like from nowhere else, like pitch black. And you can see these stars. I'm like, man, I'm nothing. I'm just dust. I'm stardust. And I have these grand delusions about myself and my dreams and my hopes and my future and blah, 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 and my insecurities, all that is, you know, BS, that, that's insignificant. And from there, it like a certain kind of gratitude comes out, you know, like, wow, you know, not, you know, there was a chance that all this would not have happened, but I have been blessed with this, whatever it's, this force is, maybe it's God, maybe it's universe, but I have been blessed with this rare opportunity called life and I'm breathing and I've been able to entertain these thoughts and I'm here with you guys in this podcast. So it was, you know, hair raising moments <laughs> for me, like those, those times. Challenge was loneliness because, you know, loneliness was a big challenge because being out there, you want, I'm a, as a social person, you know, I'm gonna talk with people, but most of the people are just busy with work and the career. That was one challenge, yeah. Loneliness on, was- On the ship, was it just like men? Yeah, just oh my God, fuck Yeah, know. yeah. Because women <laughs> generally, women generally don't take up that line, you know. So because no. it's tough, six, seven months at sea, mostly men and mostly just professional men, like who just you know following orders, doing the work. Because you know, one small risk can lead to an accident, can lead to an oil spill, 
can end you up in jail for years at a time. So people are very serious uh, when it comes to work. But yeah, overall, uh, I think so. Looking at it, largely it's a very crucial job, but I had to say, you know, I, feel, I felt like I, I'm not fitting in this in the long run. So yeah. I decided to change paths. And what came next for you? And then what <laughs> happened, you know, like a guy who has got a completely irrelevant degree, irrelevant when it comes to the modern world, a bachelor's in nautical science. I didn't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do with this degree? And of course, I spoke to my father. My father's like, do law, do something of that bizarre thing, you know, uh, some very conventional thing. Uh, and I thought in my mind, I'm going to do GMAT. I'm going to do an MBA in shipping or MBA in logistics, something I'm going to do. I'm going to do an MBA. And my, I told my mother and, you know, my mother was like, ah, cool. Yeah, it's fine. You know? <laughs> my mother's like so cool. Like, I think it's so important to have someone like that. <laughs> or maybe I don't know if it's nowadays parents are worried that children might take some wrong steps. I, maybe it's out of that as yeah. well, you know, like, so she's like, yeah, cool. Do whatever, you know, like, and I was like, oh, that's fine. That's cool. So, you know, I ended up in Delhi, I was, you know, with this, whatever I had saved, I was planning to go for the GMAT classes, uh, prepare for MBA and, you know, so I, I stayed and studied there, you know, went for classes, came back. And then uh, during that phase, I was also writing blogs, some, I had this thing for writing, you know, when I was at CIS to write some small quotes, read quotes, write some blogs. And uh, fast forward, you know, coming to Dubai with this, blog writing, website experience uh, I had. And I didn't have so many videos in my portfolio. So I used to go around Dubai shooting, making small videos. You know, I used to edit in this Windows media editor, uh, basic <laughs> software, the oh resolution God. was horrible. And uh, yeah, I went to last exit, make some food videos. And yeah, that's how I got hired uh, by this agency, uh, Shraddha, who gave me that opportunity. And thankful for that, you know, like a person like me who came out of nowhere and of course, she saw something in me and she gave me that opportunity. So I'm, What is it that you think she saw in you? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think she saw some skills. At least I made an effort to fit into the job role. Like she was looking for a social media executive, I think so with some videography skills. And I had that kind of little experience I had into social media, running that website, SEO and Facebook. I knew a bit more marketing, how to make things go you know, gain traction, cross-posting into different groups. So things like that, mm -hmm. I knew. And some little videos I had. So yeah, she gave me that opportunity and I was happy for it. So I was there for three years, you know, but I was working with different bars and restaurants in the city and they were quite some notable, notable names. And through that, I got a lot of, <clears throat> you can say, working experience. So for that, again, that phase was like a college degree to me, right? I'm here again in a new place, a new country and a new industry again, you know. It's amazing how that network grows, though, yeah. I think, once you kind of start meeting a few people and people can recognize your talent and your hard work ethic. <laughs> it is amazing how quickly that can snowball into so many other opportunities. Yeah. And being open, I guess, people, yeah. we just get so, you know, blinded and focus into, a, you know, thinking, okay, this is what's supposed to work and this is what everybody has done, you know, and that's the only way it'll work for me, no. And I don't, that's the reason I think, you know, what's worked for me not might not necessarily work for everyone, but openness will and hard work will and, you know, discipline will. That's, I think, so what's been taught by people who have done so much in life. And openness, I guess, has led to me. And also like yeah. the character like, and the opportunity when character yeah. meets opportunity. Yeah. And it's luck. that's it. Yeah, that's it. And also like a lot of employers are basing their employee hiring. Mm-hmm which is based on like characters, experience. You can 
you can have that, you know, but if you don't have like specific character, good character traits, it's going to mm. be tough. You bet on the jockey, not on the horse, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's, I, lo I love yeah. You were waiting for that moment. <laughs> that's that's that amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, that phase, I grew a lot. But again, creatively, I didn't know, you know, where I'm going, where I was headed. Like I was a guy out at sea who wanted to express, who wanted to do something. I was inspired by films and filmmaking of photographers like maybe Steve McCurry. I saw his work. I was like blown away. But I never thought I could be one doing something close to whatever they're doing. So I was, you know, doing my job, you know, living a, a good life, you can say, in yeah. the city as a part of an agency, traveling here and there. But still, I felt like, you know, I really want to be good at something. I want to grow, especially with the camera, you know. I was inspired by the Casey Neistat days back in the day when we bought that camera and people like him. So for photography, you know, I wanted to do more of it. So I started going for these uh, photo walks in Dubai uh, with the Everyday DXP and Photo They UA. used to do that. Or like in yeah, the, they still do it. It's the way you just take yeah, yourself so, off so, Yeah, so they find. meet. It's a group of people. They just mm. like meet up somewhere and then mm. they're just going to walk and take photos. Yeah. And, and then like they're, there's like experts who's going to show you like, you know, how to do it and you know, they're going to judge. Does, does it still happen? It's still like yeah, it's still happening. I, I think, I think still it's on nice. again now. It's yeah. really nice. They do it mostly in the winters when the weather's good. Yeah. But it's so amazing for people who are already, you know, ahead in their careers professionally because it helps you go back and do something that you love and realize what we're doing and why we're doing it. And also for the people who are in the beginning of their careers or don't know anything about cameras, you're going out there and with all these different people and you're just expressing... You're just shooting the way you want to shoot things. And then if you want to interact with people, ask people questions. Yeah. And you're out there on your foot going to different areas. The whole city is your canvas. You Where know, you do you find most inspiring in the city to to just go and be, to take photos? <sighs> or, to, or, or that then inspires you yeah. in your kind of You know, work. humans inspire me a lot. So maybe it's faces. When I go to old Dubai, of course, I see a lot of faces. Very inspiring. When I see people at work doing something that they love, like I work in the F&B industry mostly, so I see chefs at work. I see how much amount of dedication and craft they put. I see bartenders and how much of knowledge and, you know, yeah. expertise they put That's into cool. whatever they're doing. So that inspires me. So, yeah, I'm just like, feel like, you know, I'm lucky to be part of, you know, witnessing this kind of beauty and delivering whatever value I can. Telling mm. that story. Yeah. 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 So from from the moment that you thought like, hey, I want to do something bigger, I want to do something mm. something that's like greater for me. Mm. I'm very much interested in the story of um, your the backstory of you taking the leap of faith from a desk job to owning your own business, mm -hmm. and that's a huge undertaking. That's a lot of risk. Uh, it is. It is actually. I was not confident at all if I'll be able to do it. Uh, Especially, you know, uh, when you are in this comfort zone of being getting a salary at the end every mm -hmm. month. And of course, having this consistency of work that you'll be able to. And when you have no idea about how to run a business, how to get clients, first fear is, oh, how do I get clients? That's the biggest fear, right? Or is my work good enough? Other people have so many amazing workers. Why should anybody hire me? So such doubts and thoughts will always be there. But there's always room for talent in the market. And the only way to get better is to go and do it. So yeah, with support and encouragement from my girlfriend. And uh, yeah, she said, yeah, Sam, you should go freelance. And you know, I was like, okay, let me consider now. So I had spoken to some people and they said like, yeah, you should really do it. And, you know, and that's when I started doing it. 
uh, Did you just own. like quit your job? It's like, okay, no, I'm yeah, done with this. I'm yeah. going to start my... I, I spoke to uh, the CEO at that time, Shraddha, and she was always supportive. She's, you know, much, you can say, open-minded with that. I knew Sam, someday you would come and you'll tell me this. I still remember that. But we still had a relationship. We still have a relationship, working relationship to this day. And no, that's, that's amazing. Like, yeah. Till now, it's been since 2017 till now, we still, you know, uh, speak on a regular basis. So yeah, we still had that. You know, I, although I went on my own, we still used to work together. She used to give me projects. And yeah, that's how it helped me to transition slowly. But the toughest part was I became a freelancer and then COVID hit. And being in the food and beverage industry, all the restaurants were Okay, shut. so <laughs> you, you decided to be a, a photographer. Yeah. Pursue your dreams yeah. just right before COVID. Yeah. I didn't know and then that. COVID hit. Yeah, COVID hit. Tell us about that. And then it was two months at home. You know, I think it was two, three months we were at home. Yeah, give or take. <laughs> so it was, I tried to do uh, workout at home. Like everybody do some yoga maybe. <laughs> like, I'm doing like star jumps around the living room. <laughs> I think I spent half of my savings just buying like equipment, for like fitness Peloton. equipment. <laughs> I will not regret gaming. I think people undervalue gaming, but yeah, yeah, gaming gave me a lot of good moments. So yeah, gaming and trying to work out at home. But I realized that, you know, it gave me a good moment to reflect as in professionally, how, what I want to do and how I want to do it. So I couldn't just put my eggs all in one basket. I can't just depend on restaurants. That was my thought at that time, right? Because if uh, another pandemic hits, God forbid, right? What am I going to do? I wish success to all of my clients and all of my friends, but you know, what <laughs> yeah. if something like happens? Of course, you know, businesses adapt. When COVID hit, restaurants were at least able to form a delivery system. You know, they could mm -hmm. at least maybe run the basic uh, costs. But what am I going to do? So I thought, okay, I can't just rely on one discipline. I have to be able to do product photography. I have to be able to do, you know, different areas of work that might find value in society. So that's another, you know, angle I started focusing. So when after COVID opened up, I started, you know, working with different types of shoes, not just one focus in one area. So of course, right now I do video work as well. And working- Did you ever- did you ever think of like being a videographer, like a filmmaker? No, no, no. You just had to learn everything on the go. Yeah, yeah. Everything's through YouTube. Uh, thanks to YouTube. Shout out to all the people. <laughs> wow, really? Uh, yeah, That's yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah. Sam. Yeah. You're your own boss. What are the challenges of uh, running your own business? Uh, like I said, the threat of indiscipline. That's massive. Not having a routine. Because when you're a new boss, you need to develop your own routine. You need to be disciplined because nobody's over there telling you, hey, you need to be here at 9 a.m. Hey, you need to sleep at this time or, you know, you need to take these days off. So these are some of the big challenges that I face. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm, because of course you're working for your, you know, extra paid leaves. You're working for basically all of your expenses. So uh, there's a lot on the table, right? If you're not working, you're losing basically, mm -hmm. right? So it's important to give yourself that creative break, especially for creatives. I think so being lazy, not doing anything. Idleness is so important. It inspires you in fact, you know? So being constantly busy is detrimental. It, it, it makes you lose focus. You become a machine eventually. Like the, then what's the point of being an artist and a person as a creative who can see things differently, right? Then. And this is what I was, yeah. yeah. And this is just what, what I was gonna, ask is you're an artist mm. and 
most of the times if you have clients who has like a very strong opinion on how it's supposed to be done, how do you deal with, with that type of sort of like creative adversity? Hmm. Uh, I guess it's always the, how I approach it is, you know, collaboration right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. So some people know exactly what they want, how they want. Right. But of course I'm there with my side of expertise when it comes to technical things and the aesthetics. I try to advise them. This is what we should do. This is what we should not do. And of course, when it comes to the brand, when it comes to the story, when it comes to the vision, what they want, it's them, right? It's their story that we're trying to tell. So then I try to listen to them because I think so more than saying it's a lot of listening that I need to do because when you understand their vision and their expectations, what, you know, needs to be done, then I understand more and I go and shoot and, you know, edit accordingly and then I deliver and then you're happy at the end of the day, like, that's when it works. Compromise is very important. Yeah. 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 I can't be like, hey, go listen. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to shoot. No. Every time, even with a chef, even with anyone, even if it's a person 10 years younger than me, she's a beginning at an agency. I can't be like, hey, listen, I've been like this many years in the food industry. I'm this, I'm 45 years old. You know, you should listen to me. No. I guess humility you're is. Not, you're not 45 years old, are you? You never know. <laughs> Stop it. You look so young. Like Asian genes. Asian genes. Once you go Asian, that gene is amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. so that's amazing. And I think we worked together in one project and I I could say and I could attest that you have a great work ethic, like really fun to work with. And I really enjoy like working with you, man. So Likewise. Um, no, cool. Thank you. No, really. Um, <laughs> how long have you lived in Dubai, and, and and then how long have you been pursuing this part of your career? Um, seven, I think, seven years. Twenty seventeen, I was here, so it's six years. So twenty seventeen, I moved here, and you know, I've grown. So my- obviously, built up your business mm-hmm. now to a point mm-hmm. where I'm sure you're continuing to grow it and everything. But if if you were to give some advice to someone who was, you know. Mm-hmm in an agency or mm. maybe in a completely different field mm. that had a passion for photography mm. or videography or creating mm. content, mm-hmm. what would you say to that person? Uh, so first and foremost is shooting what you love, uh, be it food, people, uh, landscape, interiors, you know, start with what you like to shoot, the people whose photography you admire. Maybe for me, it started with Steve McCurry and you know, his street photography, that's what I started doing. You know, on my way to work, I started shooting people and streets and, you know, that's- Steve McCurry is yeah, amazing. Ignited love my love for photography, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, don't fear trying different genres. Yeah, and don't stick yourself into just one genre. You never know like what you might end up liking later on in life, you know? So that's another thing. Uh, putting it out there, making yourself accountable is so important, I guess. You know, that always leads to more growth. In the mm-hmm. beginning, I was quite late to Instagram and putting my work out there. But now I, I see it. Whatever I do, I make sure that, you know, it is, it's is going out there regardless of people's opinions, regardless of any kind of, you know, judgment. I I don't prioritize that. First and foremost is do I like the work? And yeah, and it, it should go out. If you put in the work, it should be out there. The other thing is not be intimidated by the learning process or by new, you know, using artificial lights or new softwares. In the beginning, that was overwhelming for me. I used to get scared, like, oh, you know, people using- All the technical stuff, you know, because it's very intimidating when you see like a lot of lights on the set. Yeah, and that's like, oh, those are the real professionals, you know, like, how do I get into this? You're just one YouTube video away, you know? There are a lot of the times, (laughs) like, 
I've been asked for a shoot and just a f- I've had a few days of time before that shoot and that's not something that I've done before. So I, you know, go through a few videos and I see how this professional has approached this work. And of course, when you do a test shoot at home, it always works to your benefit. So there's so many things and types of shoots that, you know, you don't regularly do. You can always learn on the way. And most importantly, don't forget to have fun and uh, enjoy and remember why you started. And believe in yourself. That's it. You can yeah, I really like, like the saying, um, it's, I'll probably butcher this mm, now, it's mm. something like, don't listen to people that you wouldn't go to for advice. Yeah. And I think it's so true and what you're saying relates not only to, you know, people in putting like their, their photography images out yeah. there, but you know, in any walk of life. So also, I think people hold yeah. back so much because they're so worried about what other people are going to think. Yeah, and also social media gives a wrong impression about what good is and what quality is. Because, you know, as soon as people see, oh, there's a million likes on me, this that must be good. So... When you're talking about aesthetics, you can't look at Instagram. You have to look at photography books. You have to look at the greats, at the good works of other great photographers. That's whose opinion you should care about, not the opinion of someone on Instagram who didn't like your photo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> right, <laughs> Sam, it's been an honor and it's a been pleasure. It's a pleasure, Sam. Thank you so much. Likewise. We're so grateful. It's been great expressing myself and thank you for giving an opportunity to uh, an everyday guy like me. No, uh, you're so, <laughs> no, you're, you're so talented, yeah. so relatable. Yeah. And it's just so incredible to hear that you've had such a diverse kind of background, education, journey, career that's got you to this point. And we're super excited to see what's next for you and just know that you're going to go from success to success. Thank you so much. And I hope this provides some value to anybody who's listening. It will, 100%. (laughs) Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Cheers. Cheers. 530 is 100% organically handcrafted by Chris Dabu and Sophie Ryan. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and participate in Q&As on Spotify. And if you haven't already... Please subscribe to 530 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or where awesome podcasts are available. This has been a 530 production.